The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and turn to Isaiah 66. That's where we'll spend our time this morning. Isaiah chapter 66. And we'll be in the first two verses. What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? I remember hearing these words as I was talking to a, a really close friend of mine. And, and it was in the midst of this relationship that, that was beginning to be pulled apart. And, and I was talking to him about the Lord and his actions were causing division between us. But his actions were also causing division between he and the Lord. And, and as we were talking about this, he, his frustration, he said, well, what do you want me to do? And those words just stuck in my mind and they just like an echo chamber just... Because I didn't want him to do anything. I didn't want him to do anything. I wanted him to see what he was doing. I wanted him to see his actions without the blinders. I wanted him to see his actions for the way that God sees them. I wanted, to see, I wanted him to see what was causing those actions. I just wanted him to see what was going on. I didn't want him to do anything. The doing would change if he just saw. And you and I have been in that situation numerous times, whether it's caused by us or whether it's caused to us. We've been in these relationships, whether it's marriage, whether it's a friendship, and in the, the, the resounding statement, well, what do you want me to do? It never fixes it, right? Because doing never fixes the heart which caused the problem in the first place. And so it's, it's not about doing. You know, we've been there. I see some smiles and it's like, yeah, we were there this morning. Yeah, it's like, we've been there. Doing doesn't fix the heart. And that's exactly what this passage is about. It's exactly the place where Israel was. Israel is a, in a place of their national disobedience to the Lord. They've nationally just disobeyed. All the people are disobeying God. And they get to this place in Isaiah. This is the last chapter of Isaiah. And so Isaiah is the spokesperson for God. And so God's speaking through Isaiah to Israel. And they get to this place and they're like, oh, we'll fix it. Like we can fix our relationship with God. We'll just build him a temple. Like we'll build him a house. Like that'll fix it, right? It's like, well, I'll just bring home flowers. That'll fix it, right? And so, so they're in this place and Isaiah is speaking on behalf of the Lord. And so we see in this passage, thus says the Lord. But it, it's funny because Israel has the same heart problem that you and I do. And our actions don't change our heart. And so let's look at this passage. Read with me in Isaiah chapter 66, verse 1 and 2. We'll read the whole thing. It says, thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What is the house that you will build for me? And what is my place of rest? All these things my hand has made. And so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Let's pray. God, would you do this morning what only you can do? God, would you change our heart? God, would you give us eyes to see you, that we would see you for who you are? 
God, would you give us ears to hear you? God, and would you give us a heart that desires you, that desires to obey you, that desires to tremble at your word? God, would you do that work in us this morning that we might see you clearly and worship you for who you are? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's look at these verses. Verse 1, look at what the Lord says. He says, Heaven is my throne, and earth is my footstool. Now the imagery that the Lord is using here is, is very vivid. Don't just read past this. Israel is in a place where they think they can fix their relationship with God by building him a temple. By building him a house. And God says, um, are you building a dollhouse? The galaxies which you have not seen, that's my throne. The 25,000 mile round planet on which you walk, which you have not explored all of, which you know that you don't know the depths of, that's my footstool. And you're going to build me a little house on that? And that's going to fix our relationship? He says, no, 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 no. Like you've missed how big I am. Like you've missed the fact that I'm the sovereign God of the universe. And you think that building a little house is going to make it all better. But yet, don't we get like this? Don't we end up in this place so often? Man, my relationship with God is just not going very well. Maybe I'll go to church. Maybe that'll fix it. Maybe I'll read my Bible some more this week. That'll fix it. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll stop using that language. That'll fix it. Maybe I'll, that sin that keeps coming up, I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps. I'm not going to do that this week. As if our actions can fix the relationship. And God says, no, 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 no. Like, it's not your doing. Your doing doesn't fix the relationship. You're going to build me a dollhouse, and you think that's going to fix it. It's like, no, that doesn't change the heart which caused the problem in the first place. Because act, right actions will follow a right heart. But you can't do the actions if the heart's bad. And so the Lord says, no, get this imagery, like the earth is my footstool. Now that's not degrading to the earth, but that's just showing the magnificence of God. So I want you to see that God is huge. God is big. We become buddy-buddy with God so often and we make him small. And we make him like our human relationships where, well, I can placate God by buying him some flowers. And God says, no, 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 no. I'm huge. I'm big. Look at what he says as if that illustration wasn't enough. Here, he asks this question to them. He says, what is the house that you will build for me? What is the house that you will build for me? And what is my place of rest? As if they could build a house big enough for God. As if we could do enough stuff to, to please God to where we could restore the relationship. And so this can lead us to s- despair of like, okay, well, what can I do? I can't do anything, right? But, but God says, no, I don't want you to build me a dollhouse. And you can't do it. And he goes even further. Look at verse 2. He says... And I don't want you to refurbish some stuff for me. He says, all these things my hand has made. And all these things came to be. Yes, Pinterest is full of refurbished things. Yes, Pinterest is full of of rehab stuff that you can clean up. You can redo it. You can recycle some stuff. But God says, no, I don't want your recycled stuff. 
I don't want your stuff at all. It's like, what? You're going to build me a house that I can't even, that can't contain me. You've missed it. You've missed it. And so when we ask this question, like Israel, like, what do you want me to do, God? What do you want me to do? Then we've also missed the gospel. Because the resounding voice from heaven, when we ask that question, God, what do you want me to do, is nothing. It's already been done. You see, the cross shows us that it was done. Jesus on the cross, he cried out, it's finished. There's nothing for you to do. Which hasn't already been done. And so when we ask this question of God, God, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to fix this relationship? I know that there's strife, there's distance, there's something between us. What do you want me to do? Then he says, no, 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 you've missed it. You've missed how big I am and you've missed the gospel. You see, the gospel is the good news of the Bible. The gospel tells us that for those who place their faith in Christ, we've been watching this in Romans play out. Those who place their faith in Christ, God promises that he will give a new heart. Because we know that actions follow a heart. And so what do you want me to do? God says nothing. It's been done. You can't fix it. Now there's half of you in here who are fixers like me. Right? And, and so there's a problem and it's like, let me do something. And we know over and over and over that the, the doing doesn't fix it. But the gospel does. Placing our faith in Christ does fix it because God gives us the new heart, which then is pleasing to the Lord. And so we see here when we get to the end of our rope, when we're at that point of saying, God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? And God says, I don't want you to do anything. I don't want your stuff. We go, wait a minute, so am I just in despair? No. God offers us incredible hope. Look at this passage. Look at, too, what he says. Because it's at that place when we're hanging on to the knot at the end of our rope and saying, I can't fix it, that the Lord says this. But this is the one to whom I will look. The God of the universe who created everything, who spoke it into existence, says, you can't fix it, but... This is the one to whom I'll look. This is the one to whom the eyes of the sovereign God of the universe gaze. Let's see who it is. It's he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Now that's not doing. That's being. It's he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. So this is a lot of like really bible terms, right? Humble and contrite. We don't just use those every day in language. And so, so let's, let's dig in and see if this is who the God of the universe turns his gaze upon. We want to know who that is, right? That's who we want to be. And so let's look at this. I want to give you four characteristics of a humble and contrite spirit. 
Now, these four characteristics, what I've done is, is these verses don't tell us who that is. They don't really tell us much about that. And so in the rest of Scripture, what we do is we can see this picture. And so there's, there's two illustrations that we see from God. And so this is where these have been pulled. And so we'll look at them in a minute. But let me just give you these four characteristics of a humble and contrite spirit. Okay, number one, a humble and contrite spirit stops justifying sin. Let me say it again. A humble and contrite spirit stops justifying sin. The God of the universe turns his gaze upon those who stop justifying sin. Stop. Quit. Like we think of sin like it's this little pet that we can keep around. You know, Matt Chandler uses this analogy, which is so vivid. He says, you know, we've all seen those when animals attack shows. And it's like the dude who has the pet lion or it's a a lion at the circus. And it's like the apex predator actually does what the apex predator was created to do. And everyone's shocked. It's like the lion mauls someone and everyone's like, I can't believe it did that. And yet we think that way of sin. We know the scriptures tell us that sin always leads to guilt, shame and death. We know that. And yet we're like, oh, but it kind of makes me happy sometimes. It gets my mind off of things sometimes. Well, but, but like it's really not that bad. And then we're shocked when our life turns into guilt and shame and ruin. And we're like, I can't believe that happened. Stop justifying sin. The humble and contrite stop justifying sin. It's like cancer. No one just keeps cancer around and says, oh, I'm just going to manage it. It's all right. No, cancer brings about death. And it affects you and it affects your family. And that's what sin does. And yet, Israel justified it. And yet, you and I justify it. It's like, well, I'm not doing it as much as I used to. Stop justifying sin. The humble and contrite, the one whom the Lord turns his gaze upon, stops justifying sin. Number two, the humble and contrite spirit accepts responsibility. The humble and contrite spirit accepts responsibility. Let's be clear. No one and nothing causes you to sin except you. No one, past, present, future, no one and nothing causes you to sin except you. You sin because you want to. You sin because you desire it. You sin because you think that that sin in that moment can give you something that Jesus can't. You sin because you desire it. And yet, we play the blame game. We think, well... It caused me to, or this happened and that happened. No, the humble and contrite, they accept responsibility. They quit blaming others. They quit blaming circumstances. They say, I'm guilty. I did it. Now, our culture flies in the face of this, right? You never accept responsibility. You might can blame it on somebody else. If, if you really own up to it and fess up to it, then you know, you'll be labeled. And yet the gospel says, no, God already knows. You're not, you're not fooling him. 
God already knows. The humble and contrite accept responsibility for their sin. We sin because we want to. Number three, the humble and contrite spirit repents. Now, what is repentance? Repentance is telling God what he already knows and then turning from sin to God. So the humble and contrite, what they do is they they stop justifying their sin. They call it what it is. They own up to it. They accept the responsibility, but they don't continue walking down that path. That's foolishness, right? To call it what it is, to own up to it and then continue to walk there. So the humble and contrite, they turn from it. They repent. They turn from their sin. And these are the ones to whom the Bible says the God of the universe turns his gaze upon. Lastly, let me give you this last point. The humble and contrite seek God's mercy. Because if you'll stop justifying your sin, and if you own up to your sin, you realize just how wicked you are. But some of us, like myself, this is my story. I grew up in a good family. I grew up going to church. I grew up as a good kid. Right? Everyone told me I was a good kid. I thought I was a good kid. Yeah, I knew the gospel. I could tell you the gospel. I prayed the prayer in second grade. I don't want to go to hell. God save me. But I didn't really know that I needed saved from my own sin. That I was a sinner. That I was the wicked one that put Jesus on the cross. Because my whole life I've been told, you're a good kid. You're a good kid. You're a good kid. No, I'm not. I'm wicked and sinful before the Lord. And I deserve his wrath and his punishment. And so are you. And so there's this category of people who really we don't see our wickedness. And so we don't plead God's mercy on our behalf. Because we don't really see that we need it. Well, of course God would give me mercy. I'm a good kid. No, we're wicked and sinful and we need to plead and beg God's mercy. But the humble and contrite, they accept the responsibility of their sin and they stop justifying it. And then in that place of despair, we look up to the Lord to say, where will my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. But then there's this other group of people. And you know how wicked you are. You know your sin. Satan keeps it right in front of your face everywhere you turn. And it's like, yeah, remember you did this? Yeah, you're a terrible person. Yeah, if they really knew what all you did, then they wouldn't love you. And he keeps it right in front of your face. And you think, man, God's mercy can't save me. I've out God. And you've believed this lie that the God of the universe, remember, who uses the earth as his footstool. And you start to think that that God can't save you. And you believe that lie. But, but the place of the humble and contrite is God. You know my wickedness. You know my sin. Be merciful to me. Be merciful to me. And so the humble and contrite These are the characteristics of of one who is humble and contrite. They stop justifying sin. They accept responsibility for sin. They repent of their sin. And they beg and they plead for God to be merciful to them. 
Jesus gives us an example of this. In Luke 18, he tells this parable. I'll just tell it to you and, and paint the picture for you so that you can see it. He tells this parable to those who were justifying, who were those, those who were interested in doing a lot of stuff. They were like, God, what do you want me to do? And they were like, here, I'll do this and I'll do this and I'll do this. They call them the Pharisees. Right? So he says, there were these two people who went into the temple. One was a Pharisee. And the Pharisee said this, God, thank you that I'm not like these other sinners. He was concerned about his reputation. Thank you that you haven't made me like those. I offer my tithes and I offer my prayers and I do a lot of stuff for you, God. Aren't you happy? He says, there's that guy. And then there's this other guy that's off in the corner who can barely lift his head and all he can get out of his mouth is God be merciful to me, a sinner. He accepts it. He stops justifying it. He knows who he is and he begs and he pleads God's mercy. God be merciful to me, a sinner. And what Jesus says is he says, that's the one that went away justified. The humble and contrite are the ones of whom the God of the universe turns his gaze upon and offers hope. But he gives us another, the scriptures give us another example of the humble and contrite. And it's in Psalm 51. And I'm going to read it to you. But before I read it, here's, here's what, uh, as I was working on this, I was like, okay, so what do I want people to walk away with? What do I want them to do? And I was like, Ugh, missed it. What do I want him to do? God says, I don't want you to do anything. It's who he wants you to be. It's who he wants you to be. He wants you to be a people. He wants us to be a people who see him for who he is. And when we do that, it produces a heart in us that, can, that humbles us, that shows us we're guilty, and that offers us hope. Because it's in that guilt that the Lord looks upon us and says, I know you're guilty. I sent my son to die for you. So here's the main point. God doesn't want your stuff. He's not interested in you doing things for him. He wants a humble and contrite heart that trembles at his word. That's what he's looking for. That's who he'll use. That's who he'll exalt. That's who's justified before the Lord. So listen to this passage in Psalm 51. This is David. We know David. We know David's biggest sin was with Bathsheba. And this comes right after David has been confronted about his sin. Someone called him out about it. They brought it in front of his face and say, they said, this is who you are. And so this is David's prayer. This is David's psalm. And so... This week, I would love for you just to meditate on this. I would love for this to become your prayer. I would love for you to take those four characteristics and say, God, make this who I am. Make me into this person and use this psalm as your prayer to say, God, I'm, I'm tired of justifying myself. I'm tired of trying to keep my reputation with people. I'm tired of managing this sin and thinking I can do it. Make me this person. See, we have in the back of our mind that if we're really vulnerable with the Lord, we might get hurt. If I'm really honest with the Lord, 
Is he going to love me? If I'm really honest with the Lord and vulnerable and own up to my sin, is he going to slam the gavel and say, guilty, gotcha. But the gospel tells us, no. He knows you're guilty. He knows you're guilty. Listen to this psalm. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your voice. Hide your face from my sin and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation. And my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice. God doesn't want your stuff. Or I would give it to you. You will not be pleased with burnt offerings. Listen. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you delight in the right sacrifices, in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Let's pray. God, we're guilty. We're guilty. We've sinned and we've sinned against you and we're guilty. God, would you do the work which only you can do? Would you be merciful to us, a people who continually, day after day, reject you? Day after day, we sin against you. God, would you be merciful to us? God, is it from this place that we know that the scriptures say that you look upon us? That you look upon us and you, you not only just are merciful to us, but you call us by name. You call us into your family. You adopt us as sons and daughters. 
got a broken and contrite heart, you won't despise. You won't despise it. We can put that fear to rest. We can call it a lie. God, you won't despise us. If we're broken and contrite before you, you know us. God, so would you make us a people who see you for who you are? Who sees you as a sovereign God of the universe who doesn't need our stuff, who doesn't need us to do anything because you did it for us on the cross. God, would you make us a humble and contrite people that tremble at your word? We ask it in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church located in Shreveport, Louisiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, please visit us online at norrisferrychurch.org.